Open up your Bibles to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. Lamentations, you're going to find it in the Old Testament. You're going to find it in the back half of it after Psalms. It's right before Ezekiel, right after Jeremiah. Lamentations is a book that most attribute to being written by Jeremiah. And it is one of those books that has a, it, it is embedded with prophecy in it. The first chapter really is talking about the city of Jerusalem and, uh, and how Jerusalem has been d- destroyed. The verses 1 through 11 are kind of looking from the outside or looking in. And then verses 12 through 22 are looking from the inside looking out. So it's you know, the first part of it is talking about when someone were to look at Jerusalem from the outside, what it looked like. And then it switches and it, and it says, this is, this is what it looks like inside Jerusalem. And then chapter 2 really speaks about God's wrath. And his anger at their disobedience, his anger at their um, waywardness, and how, and so you first want, the first chapter is talking about God's punishment for their disobedience. Chapter 2 is talking about God's, God's feelings about their disobedience. And then embedded, this is only five chapters, right? Embedded in chapter 3, there is a chapter here about the compassion of God. And we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 4 looks at, you look at your heading, it might say, uh, chapter 4 is looking at the sins of Jerusalem and people. And then finally the chapter closes with a prayer to God. Those are the five chapters. And, and it is always interesting and it is often the way that God takes the most important thing and he puts it in the middle. And so even though this book, if you read this book, most of it is talking about God's judgment most of it is talking about God's anger at their sin. It's talking about their sin. But in the middle, middle, chapter 3, it speaks about God's compassion. And so if you find in your passage, in, your, in, your, in Lamentations, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading, hmm, let's see where we're going to start at here. We're gonna, I'm going to start reading for us in verse 1 of chapter 3. And we're going to read an extended portion of this. And actually, I'm going to read part of it from a different translation. So just hang with me as I read it and all. I am the man who has seen the afflictions that came from the rod of God's wrath. He has brought me into the deepest darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned against me. Day and night, his hand is heavy on me. He has made me old and has broken my bones. He has built forts against me and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He buried me in dark places like those long dead. He has walled me in. I cannot escape. He has fastened me with heavy chains. And though I cry out and shout, he will not hear my prayers. He has shut me into a place of high, smooth walls. He has filled my path with detours. He lurks like a bear, like a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me into the underbrush and torn me with his claws, leaving me bleeding and desolate. Verse 12. He has bent his bow and aimed it squarely at me and sent his arrows deep within my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their songs about me. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a cup of deepest sorrows to drink. He has made me eat gravel and broken my teeth. He has rolled me in ashes and dirt. O Lord, all peace and all prosperity have long since been gone, for you have taken them away. I have forgotten 
what enjoyment is. All hope is gone. My strength is turned to water, for the Lord has left me. Oh, remember the bitterness and suffering you have dealt with to me, for I can never forget these awful years. Always my soul will live in utter shame. Verse 21, yet there is a ray of hope. His compassion never ends. It is the only, it is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh each day. My soul claims the Lord as my inheritance and therefore I hope in him. The Lord is wonderful, wonderfully good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is both good to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In that particular translation, this passage might not be as familiar to you, but if I were to read verse 21 through 24 to you, out of like the New American Standard, you'd say, oh, I know that. Verse 21 from the New American Standard says this, This I recall to my, my mind, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Now, you're probably familiar with that, especially if you're a Christian that came up through the 80s, probably. Some of you, not all of you, some of you. Because there's that chorus from this passage that says, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. It's a good song, good chorus, good passage. But the portion passage is what I want to focus on today. Verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Several years ago, oh, all right, I'm going to talk. You guys listen. I've got to get something in my backpack. Several years ago, <laughs> I was attending the Willow Summit, and it was, it was, it was, there, take that. Okay, good. I'm going to have to edit all that out of the podcast. How awkward. <laughs> okay, let's start over. Several years ago, <laughs> I was at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit, and I don't know really right now if it had been the whole summer, or if it had been that week, or if it had only been that day, but I came into that day and feeling pretty exhausted and, and discouraged, and I couldn't tell you why right now I, I, at all, and I can't even tell you what was taught about in that particular session that morning. But the passage that was left with me was this passage here. Um, 3.24. Great, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. And as you walked into the session that day, they gave you a little piece of pottery. A little, just like this little thing here. This little piece of pottery like that. And they gave you pens. And they gave us, not three hours with God, but about four or five minutes with God. And in that four or five minutes, I contemplated this passage. The Lord 
is my portion. And therefore, I will have hope in him. And so I took my pottery shard and my pen, and I just wrote on it, the Lord is my portion. And then I put on the back, October 12th, 2011, Willow Conference, Lamentation 324. It sits by my desk. If you come in my office, you probably won't see it because it's kind of behind my monitor so that when I'm looking at my monitor, it's sitting right there on my wall so that it is in front of me often. It has been a great reminder. You know me. Um, I am a visual learner. I, I have all kinds of little things around myself to remind me of how God has moved at any particular time in my life. And so that particular passage ministered to me that day, and it continues to minister to me at various times. This week it did it again. Let's look at the passage. I want to just make a couple of comments about it. He, he starts in verse 22, and he says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. Loving kindness, that passage, that word right there, is a, is a word that it, that it comes from this root word, this root word of hesed. And it, and it has built into it covenant. It has built into it that God has made a covenant with his people and that he will love his people and never break that covenant. So when you see this word loving kindness, and it's said different ways. In, in, what, matter of fact, what other words might be used in your Bible instead of loving kindness? Is there another word used in your Bible? What? Speak loudly. Compassion. Okay, great. Any other words? Steadfast love. That's the one that gets used the most, I think, instead of loving kindness. Steadfast love. In other words, the, the, the image, the idea, the concept that's being communicated in loving kindness is that God's love has been set in a covenant that he cannot and, and he cannot and is not even able to break. He made a covenant with his people that said that I will always love you. That my love for you is steadfast. My compassions for you are unending. And in this verse here, he says, his, the Lord's love is unending. And that's what it even says. It says it never ceases. It goes on further in 22 and it says, his compassions never fail. That is, in, that is the, the, the unpacking of said love. That he never fails. Isn't it interesting that he's saying this to his people in the context of their punishment. Even think about what we read in this passage, verse 20, in, chap, in chapter 3 here. Think about what we read here. Listen to what the dude is saying. He's saying, you know, um, I have forgotten happiness, he says. That's a, a dire statement. I have forgotten happiness. And then he says, but I have this one thing. God's love never fails. That's a strong statement. That's a statement that gets attention when someone says it. When someone is in the circumstance that Jeremiah is, that is being written here 
And he says, I have forgotten happiness. And yet, this remains true. And yet, this remains true. <clears throat> that, that's, a, that's a pretty strong statement. Because when we work with how we feel, when we are living based on how things are going, we will, we will write things like this. It sounds like Todd might have done it this week. I, I know some of us did, probably. We felt like there is no happiness left. Or we felt like, is it possible for anything else to go wrong? And he says, but this remains true. This. His love is a covenant love that he cannot break, and it remains true to me. He goes on further in verse 23, and he says, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Can you imagine? This is one of those things that we, we wake up to every single day in such a way that we cannot even imagine what it means to wake up and not experience it. And that's that His mercies are new every day. That is such a random... That is, that is something that has just happened so much that it's kind of like, can you just take a moment? Can you just take a moment and say, what would it look like to wake up tomorrow morning and his mercies not be there. What would that look like? To wake up tomorrow. I mean, see, I think there are some things that are so far beyond our, our ability to think them, to understand them, to grasp them, to say that this is what it would look like is hard to articulate. What would it look like tomorrow morning? Talk to me. What would it look like tomorrow morning, do you think, to wake up and to find his mercies to be absent? Dark, all right? Hopeless. What else? Desolate. Chaotic. Fearful. What else? Yep, yep. I think that it it it, it is it is waking up in the tunnel. And it's not that there's a light at the end and you don't know what it is. It's waking up in the tunnel and there's no light. It just doesn't exist. And some of us might have thought we woke up in a day like that, but we've never done that. And he says, his mercies are new every day. It's, it's just amazing to even try and think about that they're not, they're not new every day. And then he goes into verse 24 and he talks about the Lord is my portion. And the scriptures make many metaphors to describe love and our relationship to him. Among other things, God has described he's a rock, he's a refuge, he's a shepherd, he's a fortress. But one of the most, they say, you know, powerful metaphors is for God is found in the Bible, is portion. Portion. Nowadays, we don't, we don't hear that word outside of dieting. You know, it's like, well, the best way to control your weight is, is by portion control, right? Yeah. Well, my, my is to have many portions, the right size. That's how I do that. But we do read about it in the Old Testament, where someone, where, where and for instance, in, in Psalm 73, 
the author there, he's struggling to understand why the wicked prosper. And that is, that is the, the theme of many psalms, where why is it that the wicked are prospering? Why is that happening? And he navigates his way through this question. He finally concludes, again, this is what many psalms do. He finally concludes that although the wicked may prosper in this life, God has placed them on a slippery ground and they will eventually perish. Psalm 73, 17 through 19. But the author doesn't stop there. He realizes that it doesn't matter how much the wicked prosper because his inheritance, and you see some of your Bibles might say inheritance in this passage, his inheritance or his portion is not on earth. The Lord is my portion. Near the end of the psalm, he writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And as he looks around, he sees how unfair the world is. And he remembers that he's only wandering through this world. He has an inheritance. He has a portion. He has something that is reserved for him and it is God. You know, we often talk about that how heaven gives us hope, but we need to always remind ourselves that heaven would give us no hope if our God was not there. And so it is not so much the place that we get to go to in the next life, it is that he is there, and he makes the place all that it is. He makes the place all that it is. And you think about this. It's kind of like, you know, when you... I have a friend. Matter of fact, one of our friends, Valerie Althaus, one of our missionaries, her, her, her parents just sold and closed up her childhood home. And if you are someone who's able to go back to your childhood home, you know that when you go back there, there is something that is warm and safe and comforting about being in that place. Memories just flood you. And, and like you go there and it's kind of like you can relax. It's, a, it's home. But if you go to someone else's home, you don't have that experience because it's their home. Well, see, that's the thing about heaven is it's not the place, it's the person in this case that makes it home. You've never been there. And so going there does not make it special because you've been there before and because it's home. Going there makes it special because he's there and he makes it home. He is our portion Four times in the Psalms and one time here in Lamentations, the Scripture describes God as their portion. Psalm 16, Psalm 73, Psalm 119, Psalm 142, and this Lamentation here. God is our portion. And each time it's a reminder that whatever happens in this world, we have a possession that that goes beyond all that. Here in this world, the bank and I share my portion on my cul-de-sac. Here in this world, Cross and Community Church, our portion is this 12 acres. In each of those examples, that portion is limited to 12 acres, to my little postage stamp on my cul-de-sac. That's what I have. It's mine. But the, 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 the great revelation of lamentations is that what we have in this world is really not our portion at all. It's not my serving. You know, that's how we think of portions. It's my serving. The portion he gave me wasn't as big as... You haven't you heard your kids? He got more than I did. 
the, the, the text is teaching us that it's not the serving we get in this life. It's not even the serving we get in the next life. It is Jesus. It is God himself that is our portion. It is him. Him. And what's really interesting is that in Lamentations, the way that the book is laid out, is that the first two chapters and the last two chapters are talking about sin and the punishment of sin. And tucked in the middle of it is this statement here. I love the way it was said. I read it. The great revelation of Lamentations is the covenant faithfulness of God in spite of the covenant unfaithfulness of his people. The covenant faithfulness of God, even in light of the covenant unfaithfulness of his people. He was that way with Israel. He is that way with us. In our unfaithfulness, sometimes willingly, sometimes thoughtlessly, he still remains faithful. Now, this God, well, I I found some comments from a 16th century English pastor. Oh, my goodness. I didn't write his name down. And I want to read some of his comments to you because I just thought they were beautiful. God himself is theirs. He is wholly theirs. He He is only theirs. He is always theirs. And our property reaches out to all that God is and to all that God has. He has all. He is the, he is the possessor of all. And he goes on, he says, but his power is all sufficient for, to protect you. He's talking about the portion that God is. And so he says this, God is the all-sufficient purpose, por- portion. God is the all-sufficient portion. He is all-sufficient to protect us, to direct us, to pardon us, to provide for us, to support for us, to strengthen us, to adorn us and enrich us. He leads us and he comforts us. He says he is the sufficient portion to secure our souls, to supply all our needs of our souls, to satisfy our desires, to answer our expectations, to suppress our enemies to bring us into glory. He is our all-sufficient portion. Now you think about this. And to me, again, thinking in pictures. Imagine yourself going through the cafeteria line and you have the little tray with the little triangles and, the, you know, and all like that. And you say, "Can I, I would like some of that, please. Not so much of that, no thank you. Can I have double of that, please? Thank you. Thank you. And now you've got your portion. In my mind, I see it as servings. And the author is saying, when you go through this cafeteria line, this is more what it's like. Just him. That's all I need. That's all I need is just him, just him, just a serving of him. Because in getting a serving of him, 
He takes care of me completely. He protects me completely. He heals me completely. He saves me completely. There's nothing that I need on my tray besides him because he is all in all. He is my portion. And in him, I have great hope. I need nothing more. No, thank you. Banana pudding, I love it, but I don't need any. He's all I need, you know. Whatever it may be, he's all I need. And in this life, he is walking you through your circumstances this week. He's walking Todd through his circumstances. He's walking me through my circumstances this week to bring us to this place where he says, I'm all. I'm all. This week, Todd and I had the same week, maybe, you know, Groundhog Day or something. I'm not sure. It was, and, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight out, it was a hard week. It was a hard week. But I don't tell you that to get your sympathy. I tell you that because I want to tell you about how he solved that week. How he stepped into that week. And he took something that was hard and he made it good and he proved himself to be my portion. Because as I went through this week, having been in this passage, and I don't think that's a coincidence, I think that's just the way he is, that he takes the week that I'm going to teach and he puts me in circumstances. The wife is gone. Things don't go as normal. And he says, let me show you. I'm your portion. And so by the time we get to Friday afternoon, I'm like going, this is, there's, I'm, I'm done with the week. Let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to the next one. And Friday night, I'd, I'd planned, I'd bought tickets. And some of you relate to this, some of you aren't. I bought tickets to a Phil Keggy concert here in the area. Phil Keggy is an, an, one of the early Christian rockers, guitarists. When I was first saved in 1977, some of the first music I was introduced to that was faith-based was Phil Keggy, Larry Norman, Chuck Gerard. And Keggy's music ministered to me back in those days. Really ministered to me. And so Friday night, I wanted to take Grant and introduce him to it. So he goes, I'd rather go to youth group. Sorry, Kevin. I'd rather go to youth group. I'm going, I bought your ticket, bro. This is going to be a great father-lad son, father-son time, you know? Okay. You know, he was so excited about spending time with me. <laughs> and so uh, we went, and Keggy sang songs about what a day that would be. Oh, what a day that would be. When we see him face to face, oh, what a day that would be. He sang a song that really was almost out of this text. He is all I need. He is all I need. And he took me back to a time in my walk that was very fresh and new for the first time in so many ways. And I walked away from there feeling very ministered to. Very much like he is my portion. But it wasn't done. The next morning I come here to the yard cell and I'm walking around, you know, talking to folks and all. And Greg and Cheryl's daughter was there, Karis. And Karis was in our Bible study, our college Bible study, a decade or more ago. And, and literally, she probably thought I was falling apart. I just began to cry. 
at like looking at this young woman who's grown up to be a mother, who loves the Lord. And in some way, I felt so ministered to by looking at her and talking to her and felt so comforted by her walk with the Lord. And as I were leaving, I ran into <laughs> an, an elderly lady, and um, I don't see them here, but I ran into Mrs. Pelleggi, who got saved in our church generations ago. And she just said to me, the Lord is so good. He is so good. And I just was like going, you know what? You are so right. You are just so right. He, he is my portion. And it was interesting to me how he took a man I've never met. I'd love to hang out with him, but I've never met Phil Keggy. And he used Phil to remind me that he is my portion. He used a young mother who's now, a, a, a little girl who's now a young mother to remind me that he is my portion. He used an elderly widow to remind me that he is my portion. And so yesterday, by mid-morning, I was convinced that he was my portion. And that while last week might repeat, it might be Groundhog Day, it might all come back through again, he will bring me back again to a place where he says, I am your portion. These circumstances, they will come and they will go. But there is a ray of light. Verse 24, there is a ray of light. There is this one thing that remains true. One thing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. And He is my portion. He is my portion. And in that, we have great hope. Today, wherever you're at, whatever your circumstances are, he is drawing your attention to him. He is saying to you that he is your portion. And we step in it and we enjoy that portion. We, we step in and we enter into relationship. A relationship. This is not something that's served on your tray. This is, we get served Jesus Christ And so as we step into a saving relationship with him, we enter into a relationship with our portion. Fathom that. Get off on that. Wrap your head around that and let that transform you. Let that be what makes us different. Let's pray.